What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, here with my co-host, Shu and Raul. Uh, big week for Duke, 2-0 on the road. I've uh, got wins versus Virginia and Syracuse. Going to get into a little bit of recap of those two. Uh, preview Pittsburgh a little bit and then talk a little bit about kind of the overall college landscape. Um, pretty big weekend, so get into some seating stuff. But before I do that, I kind of just wanted to toss it to you guys um, watching these two games and kind of reflecting on the season. Where do you rank Mark Williams among the best Duke bigs ever? Where do you put him on your list top 10 wise? Well, I think it depends on how you define a big man. So if you're talking about the kind of more stretch bigs or whether you're talking about traditional centers, and then you have people who kind of fall in a middle category like Leitner, who was like a face-up four sometimes, but also played center. Obviously, if you're counting Leitner in there, he's probably going to rank number one in my rankings. And then you probably have Sheldon Williams simply because you got four years of his dominance. But Mark right now is better than a sophomore Sheldon was, for sure. And then you have other guys in the convo. If you really value defense at the rim like I do, uh, a window Carter would have to be up there too. But again, only one year versus Mark's two. So that would edge him ahead for me. And I think Mark's defensive impact might even be greater than Carter's. Um, it's kind of weird that we're talking about a guy uh, in these terms who averages 11 points and seven rebounds. But, you know, he only plays, what, 24, 25 minutes or something, which I would like to see go up and we can have a conversation about that. But yeah, overall, I mean, he's got to be way up there and he should probably be in a higher in some national player of the year conversations as crazy as it sounds, at least for the ACC. I mean, right now he's Duke's most impactful player, I think. Uh, Shu, anything to add to that? I know I rambled a lot, but. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, it's a tough question. You know, we've had a lot of really good guys come through this program. I mean. Oh, we only counting them under Coach K too. I mean, you count Mike Jaminski in there. Um, but you know, the guys you mentioned, um, I think about guys like Brand, Boozer, Jalil, Plumley, Bagley. I mean, there's been a lot of guys, uh, but what Mark does differently is his play on both ends of the floor. I mean, Sheldon gave us a lot of defense. I mean, he's a landlord for a reason, right? Um, but also could score the ball. Mark is just, I guess, unique in that he's out of all those guys I, I named. He's like our, you know, a lot of times our third option, some, you know, sometimes fourth, but here lately he's becoming, you know, top one or two, which has been nice to see. Um, so for me, it's, I rank him up there pretty high. I mean, he's, he's been incredible, especially these last couple of games. For sure. And I think maybe it's the question maybe shouldn't be, where do we rank him, but kind of how do we quantify him a little bit? Um, because some of the guys you mentioned, the reason I asked it is because a lot of those other guys that stand out, typically offense stands out to us, right? When we think about Boozer, Ferry, Leitner, um, and then like Raul saying, you're looking at the counting stats for Mark, and it's not tremendous, but I think his impact is up there with some of the best players that we've had, especially at a position that's so critical for that on defense. You know, I think if the defensive rebounding might could, if the rebounding numbers were a little bit higher, that would probably like elevate him. But when I'm looking at it, like what he does for us um, completely changes the dynamic of how we can play. And it's not as easy as I think it seems or we would have seen it like 
all these other guys would have been doing that, right? When you think about like, well, he's getting a lot of his points off like dunker spots and rim runs and lobs. Yeah, but there's a reason why he's getting all those points, right? Like teams aren't trying to give you that. Like that's a, you know, that's the highest percentage shot you can get. And we've had a bunch of big dudes that weren't getting the same kind of quality of shots that Mark gets. So I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, this guy's not really getting talked enough about. Um, not even so much nationally, but really even like among Duke fans all that much. Uh, definitely not like on the national broadcast. He doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. But, you know, this week we saw his block numbers increase again. I think he had like seven or eight across the week. And so I was like, well, let's start there um, on the value that Mark brings. And I think if we're going to make any noise, it's going to have to be because he's anchoring a top 10, top 15 defense once we get into the tournament. I don't know if you have any more thoughts on that. but Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point that uh, the way he gets his offense might seem easy, but you know, it's, it's not easy to shoot 72%. Um, and we've had, like you said, some big men that were not just large, but also athletic, uh, like the Plumleys and, and Bagley. And of course, Bagley was an offensive machine, but the Plumleys, you know, for the most part, until Mason's senior year, they really weren't big offensive factors. And they had sort of exactly the same, you know, maybe they didn't quite have the wingspan that uh, Mark has, but they were, you know, just a couple inches shorter, could leap out of the gym, and they still weren't able to sort of manufacture points at the rim as easily as Mark is. So there's definitely a skill of that, uh, you know, to being in the right place and having good hands too. That's another big thing that I see out of Mark. Um, you know, Miles especially missed a lot of dunk opportunities just because he would bobble the ball. And Marshall eventually got good hands, but for his first three years, I think he was he had the same struggles. So, you know, that's something that shouldn't be discounted either. Yeah, i jump on that. I mean, his hands are incredible. You see some of the times, I mean, just in the left, where he taps it to himself and and puts it in. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's got a rebound with his right hand, taps it over to his left, and then knocks it in. I mean, that's basically what he did in the dunk against uh, Wake Forest to, to win the game for us. He really uses the, the hands and the wings to kind of offset, like, girth or however you want to call it you know he's kind of skinny frame but he's he doesn't seem to really get pushed around and even when he does it doesn't seem to like impact his ability to get to the ball um and he also went six for seven from the free throw line against Syracuse too so that's you're seeing some of the soft touch there we've seen him take some jumpers like I don't even think we're seeing the best version of Mark like I could see him in three years down the road in an NBA like uniform somewhere like really opening it up because we've talked about the impact that Marcus had on Paolo, like on the offensive end. Well, Paolo is also having that impact on Mark too, right? Like if Paolo wasn't there in a different roster, you know, with a little more pace and space and Mark kind of being the only guy operating down there, we might see like the Syracuse game might be kind of more the norm <laughs> versus just kind of the outlier. Uh, so that's kind of what, what got me thinking about that. But um, I guess we'll jump into it unless you got something else. We'll start with Virginia. Um you know, first off, I kind of wanted to to talk a little bit about how it was really cool this week to see how like Virginia and Syracuse both kind of honored Kay and some of the stuff. It was really personal. Um, I, I know that wasn't what we were going to talk about today, but just kind of reminiscing over it, what they did. And then again, at what Q's did, um, you know, compared to compared to some other ones. And I know there's been a lot of controversy about kind of what is the the farewell tour and all that. But um, just some initial thoughts on what you guys thought about about that watching it. Well, I like the Syracuse one, the uh, 
the yearly honor that they're going to do in Coach K's name. Um, I think it's for like a ROTC, like an Army person, you know, somebody that's a cadet or whatnot. That's a military uh, scholarship, yeah, I think. Yeah, is something what? like that. Yep, okay. exactly. So yeah. uh, I, I like that one. Yeah, and you kind of hinted at it, but uh, the contrast with Carolina is interesting. Like, it still surprises me that they didn't do something. You know, I mean, whatever. It's not breaking my heart or anything, but at the same time, just with the history of those two programs and all the great games they've had over the years, and Roy and uh, and Coach K being like good friends as well. Um, you know, I know that Roy's no longer coaching there, but he's still very much connected to the program. He comes to a lot of games. Um, you would think that he would have pushed for something a little bit more celebratory and that, you know, the sort of gesture towards the crowd too would have like, you know, calmed down some of that, some of that profanity laced hatred that he got. So yeah, it was just an interesting contrast. Yeah. And you bring up Carolina that really shocked me. Um, it was a, a typical fan reaction. And like, from that perspective, like I was like, I expected that almost from them, but like from an institution and kind of just what the rivalry represents, um, two of the best programs in college basketball history, eight miles apart, like clearly the best rivalry in sports, in my opinion. And like, even if it's not that you, it's always top three, top four for you. Um, I just would, I just thought something else would have happened, especially after kind of, we did the whole kind of ceremony with Dean. Um, I just think if the tables were reversed, we would have done a lot more. Like if that was, if Roar was coming into Cameron for his last game last year or the year before, I think that it would have been a little different. Um, I was almost expecting some kind of like Roy and Kay kind of ceremony. Like I think Kay would have been cool. Like, you know, okay, let's bring Roy out. Let's have it as like this big Duke Carolina thing. Let's celebrate the rivalry, celebrate the sport and the conference. Kay's all about kind of like bumping that image up. So it kind of shocked me a little bit. I'm not going to lie, but uh, it was cool to see over the week um, what Virginia and Syracuse were doing. I, I don't care either way either, but the fact that they like, then they honor Roy Williams at that game. Like they gave him the Roy Williams dirt road or whatever it was you know they named in his in his honor um well we drove him up and down it so (laughs) So, yeah that was just weird like okay fine you know don't don't say anything don't you know don't acknowledge k but i I wonder it's just like is it pettiness is it bitterness like is it uh like a napoleon complex now it was just weird like are they mad that nobody really talks about dean anymore now they talk about k you know i don't know but you know they're one of the greatest programs ever, um, and you would think that they would act more like it in that situation, right? They don't need to be petty, you know. Yeah, they they have, stand on their own. All those right? rings, you know, and a lot of those rings, three of those rings are within recent memory, you know. So they're still, you know, yeah, they have fallen off a little bit in the last couple of years, but it's not like they're pathetic. They're, you know, still generally making the tournament and. You know, there's there's hope for them. It's not again. It's not like this NC State situation where they haven't been relevant in recent memory. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just wanted to throw a little shade at Carolina and, and just <laughs> kind of talk about that a little bit before we jump into it. But uh, preview. So we get into the Virginia game, uh, the rematch, the revenge game. Um, again, like as I was watching this, like all of my notes, like I was making some notes, and the first one I made is Kihei super annoying transition threes, like where did. <laughs> And then I hear Billis or somebody say, well, that's his 
25th three that he's made all year and his second one. And he goes on to hit seven more in the game. And then like three comments down, Kihei, very annoying. Nano Kihei run. Dude is just killing us. And that was probably our only preview take is like, hey, dude roasted us last time. Let's make him a shooter. Dude turns into Steph Curry. So I guess we'll start there. Um, watching that game, that first half, he goes on that big run. I think we were up. 17 13 and then it flips to like 22 17 or something like that like and he's he got 18 did it himself yeah yeah um so watching that at that point in the game what were what were your thoughts were you thinking here we go we're going to take this l or still feeling pretty good about it so kihei curry huh um yeah i I wasn't very nervous because I I knew you know i'm a gambling person i figured that the odds of him doing that all night were pretty much non-existent like but even after the third or fourth one i'm like all right he's gonna miss the next two or three and then he just kept letting them loose um it seemed like early on that was the plan was like let him shoot them because roach went under one of the screens and he and i think that was the second or third well the second one was the transition one so this was the third one he hit we went under the screen um and then he lost uh, at the had paulo guard him and he he got paulo lost for a second hit his fourth he might have hit one over Williams coming out at him once or twice, that fifth or sixth one. But then, you know, eventually that was going to wear off, and and we did a good job. Roach actually blocked one of them there towards the end of the half. Um, so we started putting more pressure on him. And and really, at that point, it's like, dude, nobody else on this team is doing anything. So I, I wasn't too worried because I figured once that that luck wore off of him that we would start to kind of separate. Well, it was clear that the game plan, and they talked about this on the broadcast, the game plan was to pack it in um, because they destroyed us in the lane in the previous game. You know, Kihei driving in there for the drop-off pass and stuff. So we didn't want that to happen. So we sagged off everybody. But then Kihei took advantage of that like a smart player would. You know, he's, again, he's never been a high-volume three-point shooter, but he's not a bad one, uh, 37% on the year. So that's good enough to make you pay if you're going to be wide open. Uh, and then Kay, uh, who coached a great game overall, by the way, um, we'll get into that later, but he made the smart adjustment of not abandoning the plan entirely. He stuck with the plan, except on Kihei. He put Roach on Kihei, told Roach to hug him more tightly, and then we still sagged off everybody else. So I thought that was uh, you know, the key besides AJ's hot shooting down the stretch, which we can also get into. But that adjustment to me was the key to the game. When I, and that's why I asked the question, because I'm watching it and I almost had, this is a kind of random flashback, but almost had a flashback to 2011 against Arizona and what Derek Williams was doing and how we reacted to that and what happened in the second half. Like I'm watching that and I'm thinking like, shoo, Kihei's not going to keep shooting 98.5%. But if he does, then okay, we're going to lose, like whatever. Um, but what I was hoping to avoid was like, let's not panic react to this. And now we're like hedging really hard and we're overplaying and we're, and we're just going to open up the lane and then he's going to do to us what he was doing in Cameron. So I thought that was a trick. Like you said, that, that made the game, um, for me, what, what we did on that, we kind of still committed to kind of just packing it in, running them off, but just Mark, Mark Kihei, um, and credit to Jeremy, you know, we haven't, that's probably kind of buried the lead a little bit, but he came in and you can't stop a guy that's hot. So he's like, you know what? I'll just match him. And some of the shots that he was taking and not just the shots that he was taking. Um, and we talk about it a lot on this podcast. So we'll shout out Kay for using it in the presser, right? 
Verve Award for sure went to Jeremy. Um, but the way that he was shooting, like if there was any time that I like, we kind of make fun of the Verve thing a little bit, but you can see it in that game. Like I went back and watched it and the way that he was taking the shots was like, and he did it in, against Syracuse as well. He wasn't quite, you know, at on or the volume, um, but just being super ready to shoot like those threes, like just stepping right into them, taking them with confidence, no hesitation. We haven't really seen that version of Jeremy um, in a while. So I think that's probably the biggest story. What did he have? Six for seven, 15 points or something three like that? Three for three from three. Yeah. Yeah. After I just called him out on the last pod about, you know, not leading us in scoring at all this year and stuff. And then clearly a up. listener. <laughs> Comes out. I mean, I'll eat crow. What's you up, know, if that's what if that's what it takes for these guys to come out and prove me wrong. But um, I mean, he made our sixth. That's the sixth guy we've had lead us in in scoring in a game this year. That's that's a nice little thing to have there too. That kind of you know, it's not just one weapon, two weapons. Any night somebody can get you. But some of those shots Roach hit were big shots, like. We're in, you know, they would cut it to one, you know, it was looking like they might take the lead. And then Roach comes down and blows by a guy, nice layup, or just steps into one of those confident pull-up jump shots. Um, so, I mean, kudos to the kid. He was huge for us. Player of the game, you know, to me, AJ was the hero of the game. But AJ was having a tough game there until, you know, pretty much the end. I think it was like one for eight you know, late in the game. He was 0 for 6, and then 1 for 7. He made that 3 in the first half, um, and then missed his next one. Started, yeah, 1 for 8, and then just took 5. And to me, what was more impressive about it, it's like it all happened in that spurt, but he wasn't playing all the time in that spurt. Like, he hits 2, goes to the bench as we're doing those subs. K calls him to come back in. Immediately that play, as soon as he comes back in, he hits that, like, kind of right-wing 3. Um so to be kind of like hot, go to the bench and then come back out and immediately have the like to take it and make it again. Uh, just the stones, right? It's almost like an eight zero run from him right there. The mental for the, like, hey, I haven't been hitting my shots all game, but it's crunch time and they need me and I'm still the best shooter. Like some guys, you know, would cower in that moment and he stepped right. I mean, for a freshman, eight, a, a barely 18 year old kid, that's special. Yeah, and it seemed like K knew he had that in him because uh, we went to him down the stretch. You know, he became our go-to guy. We went to him multiple offensive possessions in a row, you know, and most of the shots he get were threes, but he also had that nice drive for that kind of little floater on the right wing there. Um, speaking of uh, threes from the right wing, though, how many times have we beaten Virginia at Virginia from a flurry of threes from that spot? It must be a weak spot in their defense that we know about. I mean, obviously, with the pack line, you're not going to guard the threes closely, but particularly on that right wing there, you had Tatum going off, I think, in the first half of the uh, the game in 2017. Second half. Second, that was second, the second half. That's where K challenged him. Yeah, Oh, right, because that's the story he told on yeah. uh, JJ's yeah. pod. Uh, but then, uh, of course, 2015 down the stretch there, uh, Tyus hit a couple. Uh, Quint. Quinn, I think, hit one from just like straight ahead. But still, that's that's been the pattern for us at UVA. Uh, RJ, RJ also, too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. It's, but it's, it's always against them on the road. We tend to win differently at home for whatever reason. But just an interesting thing. Uh, the other thing I wanted to come back to with uh, the AJ uh, flurry there was the substitution patterns. You mentioned it. Um, 
that was another great thing that I thought Kay did down the stretch was subbing AJ and Mark in and out for each other. Um, you know, Mark is obviously in for defense and AJ's in for offense. And that allowed us to go small while not sacrificing anything on defense. And, you know, that was not, not just that strategy, but the fact that we had enough timeouts to do that, you know, just the great timeout management, which is something Kay's always been good at, to be honest. But yeah, so I thought it was a really well coached game by uh, Kay overall. I think we've seen some of his best coaching versus UVA, UVA over the years for whatever reason. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think it should be said that, and I guess we can use this to kind of segue, um, Paolo wasn't really great here against Virginia. Um, that pack line's really bothered him a little bit. They bait him to take the shots that he likes to take that he probably shouldn't take, and it's like they're really just wanting him to take it. Um, and I thought he kind of gave into that a little bit. Yeah, how many of those kind of tough turnaround faders? Uh, did he I think take? he finished what like two of thirteen or something. He like, did pass the ball nice. He had some great it, passes. Yeah. Um, and on the week, he was obviously against Syracuse. He was phenomenal, but fourteen assists, five turnovers this week for Paolo. So that was yeah. really good. Um, but his performance wasn't that great. Obviously, we'll, we'll use that to kind of leapfrog um, phenomenal against Syracuse. That It was almost like that first 10 or 15 minutes, like watching that Gonzaga game again from him a little bit, just in terms of what he was doing, um, the quickness of how he was getting to his spots, um, nine assists against Syracuse, you know. And I think the point of that is we talked to last week, and we've really kind of been hinting at it of maybe the – direction of this team to hit our ceiling is more balanced and less of kind of creating an alpha. We were talking about, uh, I mentioned like usually this time we see somebody really kind of start to take a, take it away with usage. And we kind of have that go-to guy for this team. It really seems the balance. Like if we commit to that and stick to it and move it, that's probably the best game we played all year against Syracuse in terms of just, getting up big, there was a lapse. Every team makes a run, but then to still end up winning by 25. Um, before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts, I guess just overall takeaways from you guys watching that one. Uh, 97, I wanted the 100, but I'll take 97 on the road. Well, I mean, what a you know difference in the two games. Like Virginia, I'm biting my nails the entire game, and the Syracuse one, I pretty much cracked the beer open and just enjoyed that after, you know, the start that we had. Because what we were like 11 of 12 right off the bat. I think Dale missed our first shot, and I was like 14 minutes to go in that the game. That was our 2015 game. Like, we <laughs> yeah. talked about it. When Winslow yeah. goes up to Cat Barber and says, y'all ain't ready for this. Right. Like, that's what that looked like. Because we were just, every shot was crisp. Like, I don't know, how, I don't think we had that much time to practice, but we looked like we were just like hella prepared. Yeah, 1.58 points per possession, I believe, for the game. Uh, and, uh, Shu, you had some stat about that. That was our best efficiency since when or ever? or was In the Ken Palm era, at least. One of the posters on the, uh, on one of the, on the board um, had posted it was, uh, so I guess since 2002, our second best offensive performance ever um, with that one point five seven or one five seven point nine so one five eight points per possession it was only behind the uh uh the presbyterian game of uh november of 2014 so that would have been the the 15 jaleel yeah that's the super impressive though for yeah. it to be our second best against a power five on the road <laughs> not so so that's the only other thing is our top 10 that it listed here that was the only one that's 
uh, on the road. And Presbyterian is clearly not the opponent that, even though Syracuse is down, they're clearly not the opponent that Syracuse at home represents. Right. So I'm looking at it's Presbyterian, Syracuse, Evansville, Davidson, right. know, Georgia Tech, Bryant. Like, obviously, right. it's a different level of competition. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and some teams are just good matchups for other teams. And in, in ways, I think Virginia matches up well with us from Virginia's perspective versus Syracuse does not match up well with us. They're kind of like a finesse jump shooting team, really don't get to the rim at all. And we're this big physical team. Uh, you know, their zone is not what it's been, but even if it were, we have the tools to execute a, like a beautiful zone offense. We're a great passing team. Uh, you know, we shoot well enough. Uh, we have Mark back there as the lob threat, which we saw over and over again from Paolo. You know, especially in the first half, it was just simple. It was just one pass, right? And then a dunk on somebody's head. Uh, yeah, she was just motioning, making the head yeah. motion there. Um, yeah, there instant passes, some yeah. of them. Right. You know, some of them were just like these little touch. Like he just knew immediately, like, march there, march there. And I thought that, that that had to be something we were practicing, just drilling and practice. Another thing that I noticed was all four of Paolo's three-point makes were from the right corner there. Right, um, the Syracuse bench. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he must have been just – he must have taken 200 of those over the last couple of days or something because he, you know, for whatever reason, he knew that was going to be a shot that he was going to get versus Syracuse. And those just looked crisp and the rotation and follow-through looked way better than his uh, three-pointers have lately, the ones that he's taking on, you know, from straight ahead or from the right wing there, which typically come up short. But those, you know, again, the, the the corner three is a little bit easier. You know, it's closer. And that's why you see all these marginal kind of NBA players like P.J. Tucker get really good at corner threes. But even if he can only hit corner threes the rest of the year, that helps him out a lot, helps us out a lot, just having that stretch component because that had really sort of disappeared as his three-point uh, percentage had kind of plummeted in recent games. You know, which having two bigs, you really need one of them to be able to space a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I thought as bad as Paulo was against Virginia, like I think I could probably make the case for him actually being the player of the game against Syracuse, despite Mark having what he had like 28, 12, and yeah. four or something, or three, 28, 12, and three. Um, but nine assists from Paolo is just like, because half of those 28, like he had, Paolo had like three or four straight possessions where he's coming down, catching, either wrap around, lob to Mark, like dump down to Mark. Um, what he was doing, I think was just like tremendous. Like he opened up everything that we did. Because once we did that, they had no answer. And especially in a zone, if Paolo's catching in the middle there, now that we have AJ over there, like you can't come off either way, right? So he, he's got the dribble knowing that like, okay, I can dribble here. And then there's Mark. So if they come up, we were killing them either way, right? What did AJ start? Um, four for five from three or five yeah. from six from three, finished six of 10. Yeah. Um, like there's just no, there's nothing they can do. And for so many years, it seemed like we haven't had a great guy to be in the middle of that zone, right? And so you can really tell what it does because I thought Wendell got in the middle of it a couple of times and wasn't really quite as sure of what I'm going to do, how I'm going to read, how I'm going to beat it. Um, he had some good passes too, but I didn't think just fundamentally he didn't look as comfortable operating there 
Paolo clearly, I thought he was about to go for 30 points, 40 points. I don't know what he finished with, maybe 20. 21. 21, 21 maybe, yeah. Had 15 I, in the first 10 minutes. I think, you know, Paolo loves that mid-range jump shot right there in the middle free throw line, right? So I, I assumed that he was going to take a lot of those, and he really didn't. He took more of them from the corner of those threes. And then the other ones, when he called it, he made those passes to Mark um, for easy dunks. Um, or a couple, a couple of times he had attacked it too. Like he turned right. around, saw that the lob wasn't there and then just went right at the rim. And there were a couple yep. uncalled fouls, but he yep. do, did draw a few free throws that way too. So yeah, he did yeah, really a bunch of mid range jumpers. It was, it was just being more unselfish, right? Like he got a nine assist. So yeah, Mark had 28, 12, like obviously is one of his best games ever, but you could reasonably argue that Paulo was the player of the game too. I mean, he had a lot of points and nine assists. I mean, that's, that's that doing breaks a defense too, yeah. right? When you just see him just over and over, there's nothing we can do. They're seeing trying to come down off of like come down and help. And then AJ, AJ is just a treasure. Like that shot is ridiculous. Like every it's he's made so many where I just now start to assume that, okay, he's got to miss a few, right? Like he's got to miss this one. And then he, he just dribbles straight down sometimes and just does like a little shimmy pull up. I mean, he did it a couple of games ago, and we we're like, whoa, dude, what are you doing? But he drilled two of them against Syracuse doing that. and it's just... So let me ask you guys, is AJ the guy we won't take in that last shot? Like, he can hit the three. He's got that soft touch when taking it to the basket. He's got a little, you know, finesse mid-range pull-up. So is that the guy that we go to down the stretch? My – only concern about that is the one time we did ask him to do that, it was a, it was a turnover, basically, right? It was a held ball against Virginia. Yeah, we got it back, and then yeah. he makes a shot, or he gets to the rim, or got fouled, or kills yeah. one of them. Some, something happened there. Um, but we asked him to just like, hey, give him the ball, get out of his way, and let him go. And we saw that that didn't really work out super great. To me, I think it comes back to the, our balance question. Like, I would like for our last play of the game to be kind of a set, or whoever's going to initiate, like. The plan should be like initiate with your first option to pass, right? Like that's what, and if it's just not there and you got to get a shot up, but that's how I would rather do it. But I want it to be AJ, right? Like make, whatever yeah, the make set a read. is, the, yeah. the read is for AJ. Yeah. And if it's not there, if they don't come off and help, sure. then you're one-on-one at the rim and make a play. But yeah. I just don't trust anybody to go one-on-one really. I don't know. Go ahead, Ro. I was going to say, I think that AJ is not, he's still not this elite self-creator he hasn't gotten that back quite from high school so you might not want to run an iso with him but if you can run a, a set play that gets him an open jumper yes i want that every time the only better option is a lob for mark those are going to be the two highest percentage possible shots um maybe if it's tied right if it's tied it's like all right give right. aj the ball and aj the play is for you to do a step back three and we'll right. just live with it you shoot it at 49 percent we'll <laughs> we'll live with that result. You know, that's the plan. Don't try to drive. Yeah. Don't try to get to the rim. Just do a step back three. Right. So, yeah, I guess he can create for himself in that sense, but. That's the you shot know, you're getting though. Right. Yeah. You're, you're not getting, you're probably not getting something at the rim. I mean, he gets to the rim occasionally and he is pretty successful when he gets there, but it's just not a huge part of his game at this point. He's much more of a jump shooter. Well, and also like in that situation, are the team is a our opponent going to have their best defender guarding him? Are they going to be guarding Paulo? Are they going to be, you know, keying on somebody else? So 
And I think we've started to see that a little bit of like whatever we're going to do, kind of like we did against um, who was that Wake Forest of like, let's just run some motion. Somebody come off a curl, whether it's going to be Dale, Kills, Paolo, go downhill. But really the play is kind of after the play, right? It's like March going to be there for the lob, look there, get it on the glass, AJ short corner. And you just kind of hope that something good happens. I don't think we, we don't really have a guy to me that can just kind of like stare down his guy, get to his spit, you know, like, all right, I'm going 18 here. I'm, I'm looking to do this step, like knows what he wants to do methodical and can execute it in that kind of moment. Maybe that happens. I'm hoping we don't have to find out. Yeah. We talked about that uh, on the previous pod, I think about why we have these long offensive droughts and we kind of all agreed that it had a little bit to do with the lack of that kind of one-on-one player, right? We're a great passing team, but if something doesn't emerge from the pass, you don't necessarily necessarily have a guy like, you know, a Zion or even a Tyus Jones who can just make something happen out of nothing. I, you know, and Paolo is supposed to be that guy, but, you know, he just doesn't really seem to, he's not quite there with the handle and foot speed. I did want to come back to talking about Paolo for a second though. Um, so, it's interesting to me that he's become a little bit more of a facilitator recently because that was his rep uh, going back a couple years ago. Uh, it wasn't until his senior year that he emerged as this like alpha scorer, right? You know, I remember listening to a game theory pod and Sam Vecini was talking about him. This was maybe two or three years ago and he just loved his game and he highlighted his passing specifically. Um, so it may just be that, that kind of alpha scorer thing that emerged in his senior year is a little bit of an illusion. And this, what we're seeing recently is closer to what his ideal form is. This just really cerebral guy who can pass really well, um, you know, moves his feet reasonably well on defense can switch a little bit, but is more like a, I don't, you know, I don't want to say a role player because that really diminishes his skill set, but like this high level utility guy, like a star utility guy, if that makes any sense. I could see it. Um, and I could see like none of these are good comps and they probably sound just utterly kind of ridiculous. But in terms of like how his value could maximize is if we, if you watch Jokic or if you watch a guy like Bam and Abayo, um, both really different guys, but a lot of them also kind of run point centered. Obviously Jokic does it at a tremendous level, but even then, if you watch Jokic, a lot of times his, he's not doing it unless it's full court or transition, but he's not starting usually where Paolo is. Like Jokic likes to catch on like the block and then he just murders you with passing, right? Like he's able to just hit anywhere. Maybe if we could shift, I guess it all comes back to getting Paolo to start deeper with whatever he's going to do. Either it's going to be shooting or passing, but maybe if we could get him to kind of catch there and read and see and look or run some more of those like horn sets. I don't know what we I haven't seen to really done that a ton um where we run him up and just have him kind of catch and then he can triple threat maybe that could be something of like let's get more cuts off of paolo uh and take more advantage of that versus having him kind of like i don't think we're the passing compliments as well if he's catching on the perimeter with an active dribble trying to come off a pick and roll maybe it works better him just kind of baseline or short corner or mid post i don't know if y'all that that makes any sense to any of you or not but yeah, and I guess like Syracuse was the ideal opponent for him in that regard because 
you can just catch in the middle. And that's kind of what you're saying, right? That you, that's where we want him catching at least kind of into the paint there. Yep. Yeah. Just lower, right? Like catch so he can scan and survey a little bit versus like coming down. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. to. to I mean, I guess it's spacing too with Mark in there, right? Like it's kind of tougher to do all that. And we have to have Mark in the game now. Like earlier we were experimenting with, you know, taking Mark out, moving Paolo to the five. And we talked about how that opened things up for him. But here lately, it's like, we need, we need Mark in the game. So maybe we have to live with Paolo just being a facilitator around on the perimeter. But even the Q's game though, right? Like, there's there was space in the middle for him, but there wasn't like a lot of space between him and Mark. Like he was doing that kind of like in between like defenders. And so like I would like to watch for him to watch some tape of that game and kind of say, how do we replicate this against a man? Right. Can you do what you're doing here in three seconds quicker? Because that's what you would have to do. Right. You would have to do and you'd have to get into the action faster. Right. Um, because the space isn't just going to sit there. They're going to soak it up. But I don't know. I just maybe there's some other ways, other options to kind of get him kind of going more in that that direction. And again, that gives us more of that balance. If he's kind of opening things up, moving the ball around. Um, I don't know, just some some kind of food for thought as we because we've seen just these like really different versions of Paolo. We've seen the like uber aggressive. We've seen the, you know, three point barrage Paolo. We've seen um, the kind of dunker. We've seen the touch. We've seen the floater game. So it's kind of just still, you know, who is he maybe a little bit too? Like what is his best assets? Where, where can we kind of maximize his value? But it's definitely refreshing to see a Duke team at this point in the year continue to get better continue to have player development the team is still kind of shifting in what we're doing you know i think a lot of duke fans kind of historically we've gotten the like november champions right we come out of the gate and we're we're world beaters like this year and then we get to kind of january february and it's like we're just dropping you know five six games in conference and it just seems to be we're flaming out heading into march um doesn't feel that way this year the stats back that up too. Uh, so I divided the season into three sections out of curiosity. And, you know, it's not perfectly even because we played 29 games, not 30. But the first 10 games, we were eighth, according to Bart Torvik's site. Then the middle of the season is where we had our slump, uh, you know, that typical January slump that Duke always has. Uh, and we felt the 16th. Then the most recent nine games were number two right after Gonzaga, but we have the number one offense uh, and our defense has improved a little bit too. So we're 18th on defense. So both things are trending up. You know, that's not a huge defensive improvement, but compared to the beginning section of the season, we were fourth on offense and 50th in defense. And a lot of that's attributable to that one Citadel game where they lit us up with like, 53s or whatever, but 18 threes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But still uh, the, the point though, is that we're actually trending up in February. So that's, you know, a really pleasant surprise. And it's also, uh, it's nice, like you said, to see certain players getting better and team roles to be established a little bit more. And doing it all on the road, right? Like yeah, eight, of 11, road games. Yeah. eight of yeah. 11 on the road. And if you look at our adjusted efficiency, like I went and I was going through Ken Palm and kind of breaking it down a little bit. Just to, I was curious because we seem to play really well on the road. 
if we look at just at road games, we're at 28.7 adjusted efficiency. You remove the Ohio State game, we're right at 30. We're like 29.6. If you're not super big into this kind of stuff, traditionally 30 has kind of been that like magic number to hit. Like if you want to be a real title threat, title contender, that's where you really want to be. And to see us kind of there on the road, I mean, it's weird at home, we're 22.6 adjusted efficiency. So six point differential is pretty massive. Um, and to have that reverse splits is kind of interesting. Cool thing is the tournament's not played at home, so we don't have to worry about that. Uh, but that's usually kind of the narrative, right? If Duke doesn't play on the road or Duke, and we're just destroying teams on the road. I mean, we're covering games like crazy on the road. Um, but I kind of just wanted to bring that up as I thought it was a little interesting of how much our, our home performance is actually dragging us down. That's not kind of what you would think, especially not with Duke, right? Having Cameron. But I don't know if y'all think that there's anything to that or if it just happens to be just the makeup of this team or just random. But it, it's interesting, I think, looking forward. Well, two of those home losses are what one point losses that were kind of fluky endings, you know. The, the Virginia ending, like, give them credit. They hit a shot. We got lost on defense. Shouldn't have been in that spot in the in the first place. The Miami game as well. So, I mean, not to keep harping on, on these games that we've lost, you know, but nine points is the separation of us being undefeated, essentially. And you take – I think – to me, definitely if it's the Virginia one, but I think if you take any of those those two home losses and flip the result, then we're clearly sitting on the one line right now, right? Especially after, and well, I guess we'll talk about that, but uh, after the big day Saturday, right? One through six all lost, is that right? And so we're the only ones that seem to make it out alive. I guess Baylor was a top 10 team that played. That really kind of opens it back up for us. Uh, I think now we're not to use the cliche of, you know, controlling your own destiny or whatever it is. Um, but that's where we're at, right? I mean, we're, we're looking good to finish 27 and four, 17 and three is what Kim Palm is projecting us to finish out. Um, I would have to think with what's kind of the shift at the top, we got to be trending towards that one seat. I think Winardi, whoever still had us as the two, but, you know, tossing it to you guys, what's the confidence level now? heading into the final week of wrapping up a one seat. Well, I think if we win these uh, next two games, we pretty much lock up a two seat, I would say at worst. Um, you know, we don't want to lose our first ACC tournament game just to be on the safe side. But, you know, if we win the next two and win at least one ACC tournament game, I think the worst outcome for us is a two seed. One seed, I think would take, it would probably take winning out just because the committee is going to, if there's any kind of indecision between us and another team, they're going to look at that quad three loss. You know, unfortunately, Virginia was not able to get up into that quad two territory to help us out. And they don't really have any more opportunities unless they make a deep ACC tournament run. Uh, you know, again, if that's that, that could be the deciding factor. However, if we went out, I think, winning the ACC, winning the ACC tournament, having four total losses, having, you know, however many quad one wins we'd have at that point, probably six or seven because we would have won. Um, I don't know if we can get any more uh, because, you know, the ACC tournament is going to be a neutral. But so I haven't looked closely at that. But we, at the very least, we'd only have one uh, quad one loss and we'd have, you know, the best quad one record of any of the top teams. And again, you know, 
30 and four or whatever we'd be at that point overall, it's going to look pretty impressive. So that would be my, my analysis there would be, we'd have to win out to get the one probably, or at least get to the title game. Uh, but if we win the next two games, we're getting a two. So just looking at the net, um, Notre Dame would be a, a quad one in the ACC tournament. Wake Forest would Virginia Tech, Carolina. So we'd have a couple opportunities to grab another quad one uh, through the ACC tournament. But I guess my question is the conundrum: like, does if it takes winning winning the ACC tournament to get that quad one, but we run the risk of you know kind of losing our legs going into the NCAA tournament? Where do we where do we go there? If we're in the finals, I want to win it, right? And so my philosophy is kind of like the 2015 model is kind of like that aligns perfectly to my superstitions of like to be really good all year, have a great resume. They took that one loss kind of late to Notre Dame to refocus in the ACC tournament, still got the one seed and then roll through. Um, The issue this year is it looks like that we would potentially be playing Carolina in the semifinals. Now, if they end up as a two or a three seed and they're on the bottom half, then I don't really care. But I don't want to lose the first game because I don't want a repeat of 2013 with where we, I think we lost our first game to Maryland. Then we got paired up with Louisville as a, you know, they were the one, we were the two. Um, I don't want that. So if we win that one and then Carolina's sitting there in the semifinals, I don't want to lose to them, right? Like I'd love to go 3 0 against them. And then by then you're in the finals and it's like, well, damn, if we've already wasted all the energy and effort to get here and play the game, I want to win it. But I don't know. Um, and that, that would be, coach case 1200th win too at that point if we won two and then we're in the finals yeah you're gonna want that would be a a really magical moment for him to get 1200 as he wins the acc tournament a tournament that he's dominated by the way so exactly and we don't have the hindsight like if you tell me now of like hey you know you're gonna drop your first acc tournament game but you're gonna win the national title cool you know, yeah. I'll, I'll lose to Pittsburgh. Yeah, right. Carolina can beat us on senior night if we're going to win the national title. Like, it's going to suck next weekend. But if you tell me we're winning the national title, like, whatever. Um, yeah, I'll we take can lose three April. straight and yeah. go in as a sixth seed and win. I don't care. But if without that hindsight, it's like I want some hardware for K's final year, right? So if we could get the regular season and the tournament kind of just sweep it up in a nice little gift package, um, we can say Carolina gave us that one. That can be what they give us. I want it. Yeah. Right. I want the hardware, even though for Duke, it's not still that. But if we go out and lose in the Elite Eight or Sweet 16, but we've gotten that, at least I can say, you know, that's that's a hell of a year. Right. That's sure. a good season. But I don't know. I, I think I think if we went out, we're 100 percent. We got to be locked in at the the one in the East. I'm hoping that we've done enough and that there's enough losses around us because Auburn and Kentucky are going to have to beat each other or someone's going to take a bad loss. Baylor, Kansas should meet up again in their their championship game to where worst case scenario, we could get that two in the East. Yeah. And if that happens, then I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, but I definitely think it's much more open to us than we thought a week ago. Any, any thoughts, I guess, around the the whole crazy Saturday for you all with y'all watching any of those games or are you keeping up with what was going on? Um, I missed the Gonzaga one, but brutal wall it was 67 to 50 yeah, they never led yeah i watched a lot of that one <clears throat> in the bed um just kind of curious like surely saint mary's isn't going to keep this up uh gonzaga made a little push there at the end and got it to like seven or eight but never really never threatened them yeah i don't know i know i don't want to see kentucky again i don't think um even though they lost like 
Chibwe is just a monster. Dude. I mean, he's like player of the year, in my opinion. Yeah. And just, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, but. Yeah. If they just had like a little bit more shooting, uh, you know, their shooting's not bad this year compared to some Kentucky teams we've seen in recent years. But the model of surrounding Shibwe with like four shooters, that would be unstoppable. Just having a guy in the middle like that creates so many extra opportunities for you. You know, and we we see that a little bit with Mark, but not to the same level. I mean, he had eight offensive rebounds versus uh, Syracuse, but that's like a light day for Sheboy. Yeah, yeah. When I, last I checked, Sheboy was averaging like 0.6 rebounds per game less than Mark and Paolo combined. If that's <laughs> and Mark and Paolo aren't bad rebounders, right? right? Like they're competent. Um, they're not elite, but they're they're pretty good. And so that's that's a crazy stat. Uh, yeah, Oscar's just a machine. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, remember when uh, he beat yeah. Mark, and we were like, "What's wrong with Mark?" Uh, yeah, yeah, nothing was wrong. Out, with Mark. That's just who that he is, you know. That's just what he's going to do. Um, but I guess we can talk real briefly about about Pitt. We won't jump into the Carolina. We'll come back uh, middle of the week and do a, kind of a, a preview and a senior night and Kay's final final dance on that one. But uh, you know, I don't think this is a glamorous look ahead, right? I think most people are just kind of this is just a game to check off the list. What are they? barely top 200 in Ken Palm um, should be a cool moment for, for Jeff and Kay there uh, a little, I expect them to kind of do something pretty cool or at least for that reunion to be kind of special. I don't know a whole lot about Pittsburgh. Does anything stand out Is y'all concerned about this game or. Um, I watched them destroy Carolina. That is true. Um, I mean, they walked into the Dean Smith center and backwards i mean they they were hitting threes from everywhere they've got a big man that's like a sophomore he's a he's a big body reminds me that uh the center that miami had years back that was just a just a wide body that you know uses body real well to have good footwork in the post um and then they've got a a long uh forward um i believe he was a transfer like muhammadi guy that that could cause problems like look leaky black gave Paulo some problems on the defensive end and this kid could do the same to Paulo. So my biggest concern is just that we're overlooking it because Carolina it's kind of got that trap game makeup. But if we come in there and do what we're supposed to do and we're playing well on a nice little roll, we should win and, and win pretty comfortably. Yeah. I mean, it's all the mental aspect for me. They don't really have the tools to beat us on paper. Um, you know, they're not some elite three-point shooting team, uh, the Carolina game notwithstanding. Uh, their best scoring attribute is at the free throw line, but we don't foul a lot. They don't have a stretch center, so it's not like you're dragging uh, Mark out into space. I mean, maybe Hugley could give him uh, a little bit. That's the big man that you mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah. Could, you know, he's 6'9", 280. Maybe just his sheer girth could give uh, Mark a little bit of uh, problems, but... Other than that, I don't really see this great path to them beating us unless we let them beat us. And also, Kay's record against his former assistants kind of speaks for itself. It's up. I believe it's 30 and seven. I couldn't find the exact numbers, but from uh, two years ago, I found that it was 28 and five. And I found two more losses since then, both last year to Pitt and Notre Dame, I believe. So most of those are probably to Mike Bray, aren't they? Yeah, like I think yeah. five, at least five that I counted were yeah. to Bray out of seven. So yeah. <laughs> Bray really has his number, and then uh, uh, Capel's beaten him once. But again, that was last year's down team. So um, 
you know, Kay typically brings it for these games. Uh, the quote I found from that article was, he likes to eat his young. So I thought that was pretty mm-hmm. funny. <laughs> I think that was Bray saying that, in fact. Yeah, I, and that's reasons like well, two things. One, what you just mentioned, and the second one, that is on the road. And we just tend to play awesome on the road. So I just assume that that's probably going to continue against a team that's not that great. But I think the assistant thing is, I don't think it's so much of K dominating them of like, I can totally see his approach to the team being a little different of like, this is one of our guys, right? Like we're going to respect the game. We're going to respect them. We're going to prepare hard. We're going to all that kind of like verbiage, motivational stuff. Um, He's one of the best at doing that. And so I assume that that's going to be part of the pitch to, to keep us going. And Hopefully our guys, I don't know how much they pay attention to all this stuff, but they got to be looking around and saying, you know, hey, we could put ourselves in a position to really to do something. And the cool thing is, is I'm, I'm glad that this is the game and it's not one more kind of hang up for the Carolina game. We could wrap up the ACC one seed with this game. So that maybe gives us a little extra motivation saying, hey, let's, it's been a long year. It's been a hard year. We did all this for tonight to wrap it up. Um so I think that gives us enough momentum. Uh, we got some a little bit of time to prepare. Uh, so, you know, I would be pretty shocked if, if, if we lost, I, I mean, I could see it being kind of closer, but I, I think we're going to kind of roll. I don't know. Y'all got anything else for that? The one thing in the Carolina game, you know, they were cruising like up 20 for most of this game, but there towards like the eight minute mark, Carolina started really putting the pressure on them. And these guys were, we're crumbling, like folding, like lawn chairs. I mean, so if we get up and pressure them, maybe just take them out of it early. Don't, th- the thing I don't want to do is let them in the game, linger around, right? We don't like the lingerers mm. um, because you let them linger around and they can steal one from you at the end. Yeah. Lingers, you know, you yeah. don't. Only what the snickle fritz for these guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. Get, take what you want, get out of here. Um, yeah. I'd love to see us just go up 13 0 like we did at, uh, Syracuse and just kind of put this away. Um, I could see it with our defensive pressure. Like, like she was saying, you know, they kind of get rattled. Like we could blitz them if they're not mm-hmm. careful. You know, and it's like, you would think that somebody having been an assistant of K would actually give them an advantage. Um, but I don't think Pitt has the personnel to really attack Duke the way that uh, the reason Bray gave us so much trouble in recent years was they ran a five out offense and they really spread us out. Pitt can't do that. Um, You know, they don't have anybody who's going to just destroy you off the dribble. You know, again, they're getting most of their offense at the rim or on free throws. To me, it's just like, like we said, just come out with even a little, little bit of focus. Just don't come out completely flat Mm -hmm. and we should win. Right. They can't win. We can only lose. That's basically what it comes down to. Um, We'd have to really have to, like we'd have, have to have a complete anomaly just shooting night. We'd have to have like that one of those stretches be the entire game pretty much because I just don't think if we're even in, even if we're terrible offensively, if we're engaged defensively, I still think we win pretty easily. We it had to almost kind of be a complete no-show. So, you know, knock on wood for that, right? You don't wanna don't want to throw that out in the, the universe. But uh and we've played pretty well there over the years. Um I I would think our record is, you know, we've we've had like two or three losses, but um, you know, nothing it's, we haven't struggled there. Like we have, you know, at Notre Dame or at Clemson or some, or at FSU or some of those other places. I guess we've went, kind of went long enough here. Anything else before we, before we hop on out of here? 
Well, I mean, it's Carolina week. I know we don't want to overlook Pitt, but Carolina week. Yeah, it's common. Um, and we'll probably probably have that for you, the Carolina preview, the senior night preview, season wrap-up kind of talk. Um, look for that probably Thursday or Friday. I'd imagine we'll be able to get that out. Um, until then, you know, you can find us again on the boards at thedevilsden.com. You can email us at thedevilsdenpod at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe. Um, you know, we want to keep that verve high. So, so be Jeremy Roach out there this week and, uh, you know, keep a strong face. Go do. Go do.